And welcome back to Morning Shot. Thank you for the, the wait, ladies and gentlemen. I'm hoping it will be a good one today. So today we have the president of Iran, which is It's obviously a party for everybody, but the idea generally is to focus on the youth parties or the youth people in, the South, in South Africa and hopefully get them to uh, actually engage in politics. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me and uh, good afternoon to all your listeners. So, Mr. Degada, the youth, probably the, the sort of section of the population who don't care about politics whatsoever. I know political parties have spent hundreds of millions of trying to get young people just to go vote and they're not succeeding. Mostly, I think, because those parties are not really good by any means. What makes your party so sure that you can get the youth out to go vote? Because that's a very, very you know, difficult thing to do. Very true. And I think uh, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. Young people don't want to go vote for their grandparents to tell them what to do and what not to do. Because simply put, their grandparents are ill-informed and their grandparents should be on pension. When you look at political parties in South Africa, you look at the ANC, their president is 70 years old. That's about three generations away from the generation of young people in South Africa cannot relate, cannot understand, cannot even solve the issues of today. And as a result of that, that's the reason why young people have never been interested in politics. However, when we are as young people, I mean, myself, I'm 29 years old, young people, we gather together and we said, you know what, we can't allow the country to be run by people who simply don't understand where the world is today. Um, people that when you talk about changing a WhatsApp profile picture, they, they have to ask about three or four people to help them do that a simple task that a Gen Z can do in their sleep. So really it was about getting young people together and saying we need young people to represent themselves. We need our voices to be heard and we actually need to create a change in our society. Okay, very interesting. So let's actually go through some of your policies. I'd actually love to hear what your policies are. Let's go through some of them. Let's ask you uh, the first question, which we'd love to know because this is usually the question we ask the most. We are both gun fanatics. We believe that gun rights are a key central component to a free and prosperous society. What's uh, your party's view on the Firearms Control Act? So we truly believe that everybody should have access to guns. We, we don't believe that there should be any sort of um, over-restrictiveness when it comes to weapons, especially because if we look at the South African economy, hunting and game is a very big uh, booster to our tourism economy. We simply cannot afford to be a economy that is against guns when guns actually bring in jobs. Obviously, we, we, the, the, I'm talking about legal guns, and I'm sure you're also talking about legal guns as well. <laughs> I hope. Of course. Okay. people here. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Then we're definitely on the same page, yeah. Okay. What, so, what about guns for self-defense? You... You're a promoter of guns for self-defense. Guns for self-defense are also okay. We, we truly believe that our, because our government is so bad at protecting its citizens, and, and I, I wanted to use a stronger word than bad, but that's the... the, the yeah. This is a huge um, platform. So, so I would say ridiculously bad. Ridiculously uh, bad. Protecting. You can say really shit at their job as well. <laughs> the worst ever. Yes. Yeah. Um, they, need to I, they swear a lot. 
<laughs> I truly believe that citizens are, should have the right and they should be able to protect themselves. Um, we can only have this conversation when safety is a thing that our government provides for its people. Then we can sort of look at restriction and control. But right now, I truly believe that citizens should be able to protect themselves. Okay. All right. We, we, we agree with that completely, except for that part where if we are safe, well, mainly it's due to people having guns rather than the state. But let's talk about the economy. Right. So the, the economy of South Africa is, is, is an extractive economy. I mean, the reason why South Africa is a country was because there's minerals here. The British wanted it. The Afrikaners wanted it. The ANC wanted it. And the economy hasn't really changed for the past 150 years. It's an extractive economy. We ship those things out to China. Then we buy it back at five times the price in a car. Arise SA's policy on the economy. What, if you had to boil it down to one or two or three points, what does it look like? Cool. So I'll give you three points. The first point is lowering the taxes for companies that create jobs. So really what this is, is setting up special economic zones that will allow for tax incentives for companies that actually create jobs. So let's take Elon Musk, South African, Tesla, an amazing story. For us to get Tesla to actually create its cars in South Africa, it's a competitive market. And Tesla will ask it, what will South Africa do for us if this happens? So we could, we could strike a deal with Tesla to say that you can create your cars in South Africa, provided that you create the jobs that we need, provided that from the profits you make, a certain amount is reinvested in the country, we could set your tax at a very low rate. We look at the tax in the country being at 28%, we could say we'll give you 10%, and that 18% write-off or incentive is for you to reinvest back into the country. So really that's the first thing, to say that we're going to be competing for global companies that create goods based on minerals. These are not just any sort of companies. These are companies that use our minerals to create stuff. So battery manufacturers, look at getting Apple to set up some of its uh, um, factories here. Look at getting, you know, the pipeline of minerals that are not needed or, sorry, that are not part of the minerals we've got that are needed to create certain components. Looking at that ship down here in a very easy way and those being created. So really special economic zones that will be really governed by, are you creating jobs and are you reinvesting back into the economy? And make sure that we have sort of like a police um, force, I, I don't want to say police force because immediately you say police in South Africa, it sounds bad. So like an SEC sort of force that, that protects this and makes sure that this is really being done to ensure that there are no loopholes there. And the second thing would be empowering young entrepreneurs. I had the privilege of going over to Silicon Valley where I studied a bit in Stanford University, got to visit your, your Facebooks, your Amazons, your Googles, went to Google Blacks, et cetera, and really got to really understand what makes America America in terms of the entrepreneurs that are born there. And really what it is, is that young people are being thrown cash left, right, and center. Literally, you go to Silicon Valley, you have to duck money. That's, that's literally what you have to do. You get to a meetup and it's like, oh, okay, cool. This guy is from this VC firm. They've got 6 billion rand picture idea, you know? And really it creates an environment where young people are, they become addicts to ideas. It's about what startup are you building? You know, in, in, in Silicon Valley at the moment, all the startups are about AI. Everybody's saying, what AI are you? Is it generative AI? Is it voice to video AI? What AI are you busy with? And, you know, money sort of being thrown at you to say, create, create, dream more, do more, be more. And that's really the environment we want to create. So we want to create an environment where young people have money given to them for them to implement ideas and also allow them to fail. 
Because when you look at Silicon Valley, there's a lot of failures, mm-hmm. but they are those big success stories. And really, the investors are able to do so. The venture capitalist firms are empowered to be able to do so. And maybe lastly, or, or one of the key factors, and I think it's, it's a bit of an embarrassing factor to speak about, but I'll speak about it anyway, is free, fast internet for young people in South Africa. Um, I say it's embarrassing because as a country, this should have already been done. But because we've got ruling parties that continue to extract and take even more from the people that have nothing, we still sit in the situation. I had huge arguments with people that still felt that uh, Starlink is not a good service provider for South Africa because they don't have a score point of them giving politicians part of their business, etc. I truly believe that the young people that we've got in South Africa that are unemployed, give them free internet, let them start using the internet, they will figure out how to monetize. That's what they did in India, if I remember correctly. That's Definitely. Well. And, and if, you, if you look at India, one of the conversations in India, I remember it very back in the day when Uber was just started. Everybody in India was selling an Uber platform. Every young person in India knew how to code Uber. And, you know, they were sort of saying, well, what Uber, like, they, they, they were sort of running memes where it was about, um, you know, there's so many Uber platforms that, that young Indian people have created. Um, it's all about actually getting to the market than it is getting the software because it was that simple. And really, that's, that's the environment we want to create. So obviously, the relevant question that I then got to ask you is, okay, I hear everything you're saying about obviously getting entrepreneurial and, you know, giving younger people the opportunity to create their own Silicon Valley and so forth. But, you know, a big problem that South Africa has is we've lost a serious amount of our skill. So only today has come out that obviously, you know, the big auditing and accounting firms in South Africa has raised a warning because they can't actually get or attract auditors and accountants because every time we get somebody who qualifies, they bugger off and immigrate and go overseas. So what would you do to entice all the skill back who is overseas and entice them to come back to South Africa in order to build the country? I think I'm a very good testament to the story. So I grew up in Limpopo, in Venda, and really we had access to the internet, of course, but it was very um, low internet and it wasn't as open as it should have been. When I got to matric, went over to the University of Johannesburg where I started learning. And when I got to UJ or University of Johannesburg, I had free internet, unlimited internet. And really what I did is I taught myself everything that I know today. Um, I would sit in a lecture hall, have my laptop open, listen to what the lecture is saying. But I also realized that this lecture is continually producing unemployed graduates, so I can't depend on what they're going to say. So I'd plug in to sort of lessons on Google, uh, lessons online, on many YouTube platforms, and I'd learn how to do stuff and actually learn how to make money through that. And, you know, through my experience, I mean, I left university as a millionaire just from me learning from online platforms. It was nothing that I learned from a lecturer. It was stuff that I learned by myself on YouTube, by reading papers, by actually reading information. So the, the, the big counter argument to that is to say that young people don't actually have access at all to the Internet. If you give these young people access to the Internet, you see what they create. You begin to realize that the skills issues that we have is just an Internet issue. If you look at much of the education today, the truth of the matter is formal institutionalized degree education is slowly becoming relevant. We're sort of going to an age where can you learn, adapt, and relearn immediately through the internet? And can you actually implement that information as soon as possible? So I truly believe that by giving them internet, you're empowering them to learn. I actually sort of do like that because we speak to a lot of politicians on here. And I think you're the youngest by a fair margin, right, Byron? I can't. I can't. 
by miles. Yeah, by miles. <laughs> I think be, I think before 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 you was probably Gaten. Gaten was fairly young, and he was like, "You're not that young." Yeah. So Gaten yeah, right? Gaten McKenzie was the PS50. So you're 29. So you're younger than us, us old buddies over here. And I think I think you 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 truly do represent a, a sort of new wave. Not a new way of thinking, like, and I don't mean to be rude, but this is a way of thinking that's been around for about 15, 20 years in the US. We consume a lot of US content, and it's all about you empower the youth by actually just giving them tools, and then they'll just figure out what to do with those tools. And I sort of agree with that in, in principle, but South Africa is a fairly unique place in terms of that our education system is the worst in the world. People can't even read for meaning. 80% of grade fours can't read for meaning. We don't even have bloody well electricity most of the time. Um, foreign policy is a mess. We don't know if we're east or west or left or right. Uh, our labor force is a mess as well. There's unemployment everywhere. Are you perhaps not, and, and with fairness, I'm not trying to be rude, are you perhaps not jumping the gun by going all the way to like, yeah, internet and, you know, VC firms and Tesla, whereas this is focused on like getting the basics right, right now. Like you have policies for those very basic things that should, should have been solved a hundred years ago, but, you know, hasn't been unfortunately so so i think you know the, the the big issue in south africa is that a lot of south africans are very naive and there's no better way to put it but to put it in the fact that there are people that sponsor them to think in a certain type of way um the poverty in south africa is man-made mm. literally there were people who thought sat down and said how do we create an environment of people that will allow us to steal the minerals every single day without them ever actually figuring it out that they can do it themselves. And this massive institution that continues to enrich themselves enjoys your type of thinking, which is, hold on, focus on water, focus on electricity. You've got big load shedding issues. Focus there. Don't come to the billions that we enjoy. And the think... big narrative of some of us yeah. that are here is the fact that we know these people. We've been to where they've been. We've seen what they've seen. And we've realized that there is no difference between myself and Mark Zuckerberg. There is no big difference. There is no thinking capacity that's different. Really what it is, is that his environment enabled him and my environment was created to actually stop me from getting there. So the big thing that we're going to do, and of course, of course when you get to the big stuff, the smaller stuff is included, right? There's no way Tesla's gonna come if the water's not functioning. So all of that is included. But when you talk to Tesla, Tesla will never say to you, oh, by the way, you have a water problem, we have water issues, because Tesla understands that that's a man-made issue. It's an issue that people actually themselves frustrate the system in order to extract funds from it. It's the same conversation with electricity. If you talk to a layman on the street about electricity, he'll make it a mammoth task. Oh, it's difficult. It's insurmountable. Mm. It's impossible. We'll have load shedding forever. You no, talk to cool. Tesla, they're like, oh, cool. That's, that's like a one-month thing. We're done. We've got it sorted. We're done. So really, it's are you part of the school that's being schooled by the people that are making the money from the system that will want you to believe that it's so difficult? Or are you part of those that are seeing that, okay, actually, this thing is possible. It can be done. It's been done so many times over again. There just isn't anything else. And really what it is, it's about people realizing that the powers that be are under that blindfold. The powers that be believe these things. The power that be have been in the school of thought for so long that they believe that African problems are too big to be solved. We'll just wave our hands through and allow people to extract everything that they can because these problems are way above us. We'll rule for the next five years and we'll leave. 
And really what this generation is saying is, hold on, we know the truth. We know that these things are simple. Why is it that they're not being done? And really what we're coming through is saying, we're going to fix them and we're going to make sure that Africa becomes the superpower that it should be. Yeah, okay. So I, I agree with a lot of that. And yeah. I would say that you you what you're saying is partly correct. I'm going to say partly. So the first thing I'm going to say is obviously, let's use the example of Starlink. Uh, one of the commentators in the, the comment section has obviously used Starlink as an example and said Starlink would love to come to South Africa to give free electricity or cheap electricity to South Africans. But they can't because the government wants to adopt BEE. So that would naturally lead me to ask you what your what's your approach to BEE and that legislation? But before I do, I'm going to ask you that question in a sec, but I'm going to say it's far harder in South Africa to fix the problems because of the mafias pre-established. So there's a number of people that, as you rightly say, have already set themselves up in an extractive type way. ESCOM's a really good example. And as we saw, even with Dorator, when you tried to tackle the decay with an ESCOM, Mate, there was like cyanide in his coffee and people were trying to put death threats on his family and stuff. He had to be smuggled out the country underneath the cloak of, cloak of night. Like he, he fears to come back here because he might be assassinated for the things he knows. Trying to tackle those networks could be highly problematic. The same could be said for the construction mafia in many parts of the country, the gold mafias, the Zamazamas, the illegal immigrants. Those problems all need to be tackled and you can't fix the basics until you get rid of those, let's call them micro problems. But those micro problems aren't really micro, they, they're huge. But anyway, coming back to the main question, which is what, what do we do about, what would you do about BEE? So, so let me engage you on that. And, and I think it's important that you understand that the way you're speaking, Byron, is because you've listened to the media. It's not because you've been on the ground. And the media will let you believe that because in your mind, the media has told you that, oh, these mafias are these criminals and, you know, these people just want to extract it. They just want to, they're terrible people, right? Now, let me give you the perspective of the real reasons on the ground, right? When you get to the ground and you talk to the gold Zamazamas and you say, dude, what's up? The media says you're a mafia. The guy's like, listen, my grandfather worked in this mine. He only got this much. I was working in a mine. I didn't get paid enough. These guys left. They didn't leave us with much. So we're trying to extract some gold. We're trying to sell it to foreign markets. We're trying to build our families. We're trying to make money. And we're like, oh, but hold on. The media is calling you a criminal. Why are they calling you a criminal? And then they're like, well, we've tried to apply to open up a gold mine. We didn't have the capital to do so. So as a result of that, some of us started to take it, etc. The guy got a license. The license was cut off, this, that, and the other, right? But at the, at the core of it, really, you really realize that it's a bunch of Black people that are trying to become financially wealthy. And many of them have received hindrances that they could not overcome and allowed them to choose the path of least resistance, some of it leading to criminality, which is terrible. You should never be a criminal. However, if you had a government that understands how things actually work, and that can begin to work with these organized, remember what the media calls them, Byron, criminals. I call them people that were trying to get wealthy. If you could have a government that could work with these people, whether you want to call them criminals or people that want to call that, that want to be wealthy, it's up to you. And actually teach them 
because these people did not actually go to school to study any of these things and actually then teach them how they can then do these things in a legal, profitable way that leads to them becoming billionaires and becoming some of the richest people in the world. Majority of them have said, if we had that path, we would take it. Now, I want to bring it back to this point to say, we must not believe the narrative we hear of South Africans from the media, because we understand that the media is funded by people that are already enjoying the benefits themselves. And that in itself gives a disadvantage to the people that are not enjoying the benefit because they have no media to tell their story. So really what I'm saying here is we need to look at some of these things properly from the side of the media, which calls them criminal syndicates, right? And they have every right to do that. And from the sides of the people that actually do these things, people that want to open up construction companies, but because they don't have the qualifications, some of them have been stopped. People that have done building projects, but because they had certain capital restraints, some of them have been stopped, et cetera, et cetera. We then need to listen to both sides. And really when we come in, and one of the principles of Arise South Africa is to say, we need to have public-private partnerships. Where we bring in these people that have been previously disadvantaged, we don't just give them the whole pie themselves because we truly understand that they can't really do it without some of the amazing networks. I'll give you an example. You've got ShopRite. Now, ShopRite has built a beautiful network that can distribute anything across South Africa faster than anybody in South Africa. Now, if you had to say that you want to automatically compete with ShopRite and it's going to take a couple of years. I mean, they've, they've been building this thing for a very long time. But what if you could actually get ShopRite to partner with somebody who's being provided for by the government and actually form what we call a public-private partnership that could be governed properly? You could then get these people to be developed, these criminals, these mafias, to be developed and actually stand a chance in creating and becoming something in this world. So the way that I look at empowerment is completely different. And I, I, I often advise to say we must take what the classic or, you know, the, the general media gives us with a pinch of salt, because we do know that they do have an agenda and they are funded to propagate their agenda. So I've got a few comments on that. So first of all, I fully agree with you in terms of the media. So, so Byron is not a normie. <laughs> I think that's let's put that out the way. So Byron and I are, are, are nationalists, South African nationalists, very patriotic South African nationalists. Number two, as nationalists, we fully understand that economy is heavily concentrated in corporations in Santon. That's been uh, it's, it's an offshoot of apartheid, it's an offshoot of the British Empire, right? And concentration of wealth is a South African story. It always has been. Once that wealth is threatened, there's regime change. People say it's democracy and bullshit. It's regime change through economic interests. Simple. We, we fully agree and understand. On the other hand, though, that corporate centralization leads to a lot of benefit for everyone, right? Everyone in the country knows what a shop right is. Everyone knows that they can buy the basic stuff they need at a shop right. Same with the mines, same with all sorts of things. But, but when you are a state... And this is, and this is very important. You need to be the monopoly on violence at all costs. To me, the Zamazamas are a threat to the monopoly of violence because they started off, as you described, yeah, people looking to make themselves wealthy. 
but it has metastasized into a real criminal syndicate. People with illegal guns, people with AK-47s, people that break rules, getting minerals inside and outside of the country. A lot of them are not even here legally. Sorry, Ruben. Maybe for the context, maybe let's use a different industry like the taxi industry. Right. Continue. All right. All right. So the taxi industry, I mean, we used to big support of the taxi industry, actually. So it's a very bad example to use. We've big supporters yeah. of them. But there is this notion like that black people can't do business. And we say that's absolute bullshit. The biggest problem is concentration of power in corporations. But as the state, we well know corporations and state power go hand in hand very well. And that is how most democracies are run in South Africa. Do you mm. intend on... With your private public partnerships, do you intend on strengthening that that corporate state partnership, or do you intend on breaking it so that people on the ground benefit from being South African? That's the key issue. So, so you know, one of the big things that we really stand for is the fact that we we, we can't tamper with jobs and the creation of jobs. And I think maybe to give a bit of more context, I myself am I'm, I'm very well studied in many industries. And what I understand is that 40% of the jobs we have in South Africa, this is what reports say, I believe it's more, but let's stick to the 40. 40% of the jobs we have in South Africa are going to be wiped away just through AI alone, right? Artificial intelligence. Now, we cannot in any way consider strifling, frustrating corporate because we will just end up losing more jobs. What we want to do as a rise South Africa is use the funds use our power to begin to build a new world. And really what it is, is when you look at places like Dubai, and I've I've often had this conversation with a lot of people, when you look at places like Dubai, you you really get to see that building a new world is something that's actually possible. And building a new world and a new economy, it's something that can be done. Now, we we, we don't want to... Absolutely, but not through democracy. Not through democracy. Okay, cool. Maybe let me give you the context, right? right? So so we have a clear understanding that the people that rule at the moment, and I used to advise the sitting president, Sul Ramaphosa, and we understand that these people played their role to a certain extent, right? They went through and they fought this beast of apartheid and they destroyed it, which apartheid was a very cruel system, Right. The big thing that they have is because they've been through this emotional trauma, for them to give power to the young people is is a difficult thing because they're so afraid of the fact that what if these young people get duped by this apartheid system and we find ourselves in the same place again, right? So when we get in power as a rise South Africa, what we're doing is we're, we're raising the consciousness and the level of thinking and government to the next level. Right now, the level of thinking in government has always been apartheid. What we learned in apartheid, what we did in apartheid, this is what we implement. And what we're doing is to say, we're the fruits of apartheid. I was born in 1994. I'm a product of a government school in South Africa. I'm a product of a university, University of Johannesburg in South Africa. I'm a product of the fruits of apartheid. And really what we're doing is we're bringing in all these young people to say, we, we, we can't watch as these old people get it wrong because the reason they get it wrong is because their thinking capacity is not as stretched as ours. Their thinking capacity has reached some of its limits. And that's the reason why they can't relate nor stick to it. I mean, think about it in this way. Put any government minister with Elon Musk in a room. The conversation won't even start. 
Yeah. But put me with, with Elon Musk in the room, the conversation can land in trillions of dollars coming into South Africa. Why? Because I understand what's currently going on in the world. So what we're doing is we're bringing in young people into government to say, young people, we must participate in politics. And when we participate in politics, it's not really about you know, whether I can sing a song or whether I'm part of the struggle. It's more about what ideas do I have that will solve the big issues that we've got in South Africa. And the biggest issue that we're solving is poverty because majority of people in South Africa live in poverty. And for us to solve poverty in this country and unemployment, we must come up with new ideas. We must be able to extract these new ways and these new systems of doing things. And some of it comes with hindrance and people saying, can it be done? But really what we're doing is we're saying the level of thinking in government must change. And you know, whenever I engage young people, there are young people that are much smarter than I am. And I'm saying, come on board. Because what we're doing is we're formulating this new class of black young people that are informed, that know what's going on, that are going to say to these people, hey, old people that fought for the struggle, we're not going to sell you out. We're actually going to build on what you did and do it much better. Let's work together. And these are people that you know, listen to, 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 to young people because they understand that they must somehow pass it on to the next generation. So there's really something going on here where young people are starting to take on the reins. And it's going to be very interesting to see if corporates and if you know, the people that wish well for this country support young people. I don't see young people not winning. Hmm. So I think uh, a lot of that becomes really, really interesting, I suppose, in some respects. So I've got, I've got to ask you a question. Uh, I suppose I haven't really completely understood the answer, but what's your proposal on BEE? Will you get rid of it? Will you reframe it? What, what's your proposal on BEE specifically? Cool. So, so really, I would, I would fix BEE. And, and I didn't want to get into it because it's, it's, it's such a sensitive topic. But let's jump into it, right? If you look at BEE and you look at how BEE has functioned, really what BEE has done, it's worked for 10 people in this country. These Patrice Mutsipe, Sil Ramaphosa, mm -hmm. just 10 people, right? So the truth of the matter is that BEE as stands today is, is not real. It's just a piggy bank for a couple of people that continue to make money. And really what our solution is, is this public-private partnership. That becomes our BEE, if you want to put it in that way, where we're saying that it doesn't work, this system of you just throwing money at people and they take that money and buy into companies that exist. What works is building new things, getting corporate to put in money, getting people to put in money through the government and building new things that can be sustainable and starting new stories. So really, it's, it's that private-public partnership that we stand for. So, so it's, you know, it's, it's what's the term? Non-empowerment and non-upliftment either. It's about just having a stake and having like sort of some seed capital to have a stake. Is that fair? Yes. Okay. Mm. Okay, and then let's just go on to another another topic. Then let's actually talk about some of the other big issues in South Africa. So obviously, one of the things that seems to be getting pushed through at the moment by the uh, Ramaphosa government is the uh, NHI. Now we're not entirely sure why he's pushing it. We know that it gets pushed quite a lot by uh, Nicholas uh, Crisp in the Department of Health, and it seems actually to be his project more than anybody else's. But despite 
declaring this week that South Africa's running out of money and we actually have no more money, we've decided we've got a great idea on how to address the balance sheet, and that is to incur another 300 billion rands worth of debt in the form of NHI, even though they're running out of taxpayers and all the doctors are immigrating. What's your proposal on the NHI? Would you have it? Would you scrap it? So, you know, I, and I don't really have a long answer when it comes to this. I believe that every South African should have access to quality health care. The vehicle that we use to get there, I have issues with this current government planning that vehicle. But I do believe that every single South African should have access to quality health care. Yeah, also, well, Byron, when I will disagree on this, but I think it's a bit unfair to say, what is your opinion on this political party's policy? And then you must sort of like juxtapose your own policy to this one. It's a bit, yeah. Um, but okay, I mean, it's a very good political well, so, 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 obviously, if you, let's say 2024, you win the elections, right? Obviously, you're going to inherit these policies and you're going to inherit the country as it is. So you're going to have to decide on day one, right? So 2024, let's say you're president, you're declared president. What are you going to do with the existing policies? So you got to you got to make a decision. Do you enhance it, scrap it, or, or do what? So it's like you're going to have to have an idea of what you can do with it. Definitely. So 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 much of our policies stand on private public partnerships. That's what we're doing, and the reason why we're doing that is because we've seen these things work very well in countries like New Zealand, Australia, Singapore, where they've been able to build phenomenal institutions just through private public partnerships. What you're really doing is you're setting up places where the people and the government can own and work together. And that in itself works very well. Because the big problem we have in South Africa is that the government owns everything. Government owns ENSCOM 100%. So no matter what you say, do, think, or, or, or whatever, it falls on deaf ears. It's owned by the government 100%. But if, imagine if you had ESCOM owned 50% by government, 50% by citizens. And what I mean by citizens, when the, the president of Singapore took over, Lee Kuan Yew, one, a phenomenal man, lots of issues people have with him, but I, I like all his policies. So, yeah. so what he did is he realized that people in that country in Singapore didn't really care about the country. They burned down buildings. When they were upset, they did strikes. They, they, they were just hooligans when it came to anger. And what he said, he said, let's give these people shares in state institutions. So let's take their pensions and invest it in state institutions. Let's take the money and allow them to invest in public institutions. And what began to happen is when people started to strike and a person decided to burn down something that was owned by the government, the people of Singapore beat up that person and reprimanded the person themselves because they had a share in it. So they became patriotic citizens because they felt that they owned something. Now, in South Africa, our biggest issues come from the fact that if there's a strike in Cape Town, and I'll use Cape Town as a good example, Clifton can burn overnight. Why? Because majority of the people have no share in Clifton. You might say to them that you'll get a job, you'll get this, that's good. But psychology has taught us that if you don't own something, you don't protect it. You don't care as much as somebody who owns it. So as a result, he used a simple psychological thing to say, if these people own it, now it becomes a thing where immediately when people say we're going to attack this, people are saying, don't be crazy. That's my pension fund. That's my student fund. That's my money. You're not going to do that. 
And you find that, so the mega, that this is the mega Thatcher theory. The mega Th Margaret Thatcher had the same idea. She was like, uh, "You won't be so keen to strike if you have a house and a mortgage to pay or a bond to pay." So say, it's it's the Thatcher idea. Mm, I wouldn't want to be associated with Thatcher, but okay, we'll we'll leave it on Lee Kuan Yew. Lee Kuan Yew is better, um, in my opinion. Right, well, yeah. so, so really, that's but, that's really what we want to do. So with public health care, we do the yeah. same thing. Would, 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 would allow public and private to partner. The hospitals will no longer be run by the government 100%. It'll be a 50-50 partnership, yeah. and both partners will be held accountable. So, so if, you, if what you're saying is correct, then you're going to have to, obviously, you're going to have to redraft the NHR bill because the NHR bill in this long format says that once fully implemented, that the private sector isn't really going to have a say. It's all going to be centrally centrally governed. Now, I actually want to come back to a point in this. I actually just thought about this quickly. So you were actually talking about a lot of the, the policies before you were talking about, you know, getting young people involved, getting young people to come out there and get involved in politics. A big problem that we have in South African politics as a whole, especially amongst certain sectors of the young, is that basically they've all been indoctrinated in Marxism. And so they all seem to think like the future of the country must somehow be in some form of, you know, Marxist type doctrine where the state has overall control and the central command and blah, blah, blah. I mean, we see this even in, in the EFF. We see this in the student councils. As you rightly said, you're, you're a product of the student of Johannesburg. So, you know, the University of Johannesburg. So what we see in a lot of the universities is that Marxism prevails in such a way that it's very difficult to get people to come out there and basically be like, you know, I need to now be entrepreneurial because people aren't trained to be entrepreneurial. So I'm very curious to see how you would get these Marxist indoctrinated individuals who are basically have rain brought of, of communism on their head. And then you basically asking them to get out there into the public sector and to become entrepreneurial. There's a real danger that we we actually just lack those skills these days, especially amongst the young. Look, I, th I think we've, we've spoken to them. So we've really done a lot of ground research with people. And even with the EFF, we've spoken to members of the EFF. And, and this is what members of the EFF have said to us. They've said to us, look, when, when Julius Malema and the EFF started, they were very happy at the fact that he was talking land and jobs. But however, many of them asked to say, how will you do it? And they found that the ideas that they had were great on paper, but they found that all around the world, these ideas had not been implemented properly. And a lot of them were sort of stuck in limbo in the EFF to say, we've already started this journey, but we do have issues with the policy. Now, there's big hypocrisy there, because if you look at the way that the EFF runs and the way that they do things, you can see that there is no Marxism there at all. Now, what we're doing is we're very different in that we are very idea-based. We've got ideas that could actually work. Let's take the land example. Very touchy, very sensitive. We do agree that land should be fixed. Now, our policies around land are about land creating jobs. And how do we do that? Really, what we say is that every owner of land should produce a certain number of jobs. If you don't produce jobs from your land, your land will be taken away and given to those that will produce jobs. What does this mean? It means if you have the privilege of owning land 
whether you stole it, whether Jan van Riebeek, whether whatever the case is, if you have the privilege of owning land, you better make sure that South Africans are being employed from the land that you own because you sit in a place of privilege. If you're going to own land here just for you to feel high on the fact that you're rich while we have people who are suffering, we're going to take that land and we're going to give it to people who are willing to actually create jobs from the land. Australia did that. Beautiful principle, beautiful policy. Everybody said this makes sense because what it does is it forces people to invest in the country. So what it means for somebody who's just sitting on land, including the government, because remember when we talk about this, the government is accused, number one, because they own a vast amount of land that's just chilling. It means that everybody with land, get off and start creating jobs from your land. Those that create jobs on their land, their land will be safe. Those that don't, you're in trouble. You need to create jobs. And what we do is we answer the problem of both land and jobs immediately. And people then become happy and say, hold on, what this guy is saying makes sense. We want to go with this. But, I mean, here's the, my issue off the top of my head. It's the first time I'm hearing about this idea. So excuse me if you've heard this question already before. If, if you have the structure of the state that is safe, secure, consistent, and patriotic, you don't need these policies, People will use land productively. That's the whole point of the capitalist system which we are under, right? I've got, if, if I have a farm, I want to use that farm to make a living for myself and my family. And I'll need workers for that. or I'll need suppliers for that and things like that. I mean, how many people out there really do own land purely for speculative reasons? Less than 1%? You'd, you'd be surprised. And, and, and I mean, Roman, the way that you speak sounds like you, you, you're a really good guy, which is really great. But I, I, I must burst your bubble and say there's a lot of people who are not like you. Let's look at right. capital. There yes. are South Africans that have capital. They've got billions of dollars. They're aware that there are people in South Africa who don't have jobs. These people have had this capital for years. They are not spending it. They are cash rich. They want to be cash rich. They are not investing. They are projects that could give them better than returns. They are not doing it. They just want to hoard this money. And we yeah, see this. With respect, I, I do apologize for interrupting you, but this is like a, a very, no, if I may say, a very typical argument saying. Yeah, people people have so much money, they're sitting on trillions of rands in the bank, they refuse to invest. Well, they refuse to invest because the policy and the government and the state is so against investment, is so against. Uh, creating wealth for other people is so against uh, ensuring that the workforce can be hired and fired and all the rest of it. Like it's very difficult to be an optimistic investor in South Africa, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so, so I definitely think that we, 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 and, 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 you know, the, the job that I've, that I've got in South Africa is insurmountable because I have to do the work of, of, of letting people know that there's a lot of bad guys. And I don't like it, but it needs to be done. And, and let me explain and it to you. And I'm sorry no, to no, interrupt. No, no. I'm not a free yeah, market. I, uh, I'm not the one cool. guy like, you know, you get rich, pull your bootstraps up, all that bullshit, right? It doesn't cool. work here. But, cool. but, but, but I, I want to explain to you, right? Right. So there are people that are investing in technologies to change the weather, right? And these technologies can cause tsunamis, hurricanes, wildfires, they're actively taking their money and they're investing in these technologies. Now we've asked them to say, why are you investing in a technology that can cause a tsunami? 
And they're like, because I'm rich and I want to. What, who knows? Maybe I want to. If somebody makes me upset, maybe I want to give them a tsunami. And we ask them the question to say, but that's quite evil. You shouldn't be allowed to do that. And they say, well, it's my money. I can do whatever I want with my money. These people, um, it's very, these people are not good people. They exist. And you believe that they don't. I tell you now, there are people in South Africa that will buy land just for the sake of them parking their money on that land to say, hmm, I've got capital. People have got great business ideas. I don't want to empower anybody else. I'm comfortable as a billionaire alone. There's too many billionaires in this world. Last, last time I had to wait in my airplane for 10 minutes at JFK to just land. It really upset me. Enough is enough. I'll keep my money to myself. And you ask them again and again to say, but you've got so much money. Why don't you do good? And the same question comes back that we've believed a lie and it's time we believe the truth. They are evil people in this world. And as a result of that, we need more people that are good to actually fight them and take them head on and say, if you won't employ people, you won't create a working environment, we will take away your land. Well, why not okay, take so, so, on that? Sorry, Byron, last question. Isn't it better just yeah. to have just to have a tax subsidy or reduction the more employment you have? Isn't that just a better incentive than expropriation? These people have figured out how to evade tax better than anyone else. We all know the story of the billionaires that definitely do not pay tax. And there's lots of trusts in South Africa that have been here for many years that have never paid tax. You, you, you cannot beat an evil man in a plan that he's been functioning for many years. You must force him to come out and you must force him to change his ways. It's the same narrative as the narrative of saying, why do these rich people still fund the ANC? I mean, we know them. We know these wealthy families. They still fund the ANC. You see what the ANC is doing. They haven't stopped. Why, why do they do that? So we must believe that there is a deep state and they do have functions and they do have a mandate and they must be people that are righteous, that do the right things that actually cause them to stop. Okay, so I'm going to agree with you on a couple things, but then disagree with you on a couple also. Okay, so I'm going to use PE as an example. And that is, you know, in PE, we have a significant problem around buildings that are decaying. Now, part of the reason that we have these buildings that are decaying, specifically closer to the harbor, is because they're owned by like one or two guys. But these guys have owned these like skyscraper type buildings since like the 70s. So these things were paid off, man, like in the 90s. Like they've had their money out of them. They still own these buildings. But a lot of these buildings have been over time trashed. Now, many people have tried to buy them for forms of regeneration. But these guys don't want to sell them. Why they don't want to sell them, don't know. But it's their choice. I mean, it's their right to have them. So as a result, what we have is we have a lot of these buildings looking rather old. It makes the sea, the seafront look rather tattered. The actual area now is like full up of Nigerians that have all gone and basically hijacked the building and turned it into squalor's drug paradise. This is the same story that you find in Joburg. And we've recently seen the results of that. And these, these buildings, again, you all look at it and you're like, you know, some of these guys are like 80. Like, why do you still own this building? Why don't you give it to someone else? Why don't you sell it? And they're like, ah, I don't want it. Well, why? Okay, there's no real rational reason for it. Okay, so I buy that story. I understand it. And, you know, Ramon and I have driven up and down this country. We've seen the amount of farmland out there. When you go to the Karoo and there's farmland for miles. Now, some of that farmland is productive. Some of it's not. 
But, you know, the central problem comes in. Like, we understand the logic. We understand why you would say, okay, well, what you need to do is you need to incentivize the individual to basically make it productive in order to produce jobs. But one of the reasons that we don't produce jobs in this country, and I'm an entrepreneur, Roman's an entrepreneur, we both run businesses. You know, it's one of the reasons that we don't do it is because the government will tell me who I must hire. I must be B score pointed. And those things kind of become problem problematic, especially where I am in the West, in the Eastern Cape. The skill set that I need is not very common, because obviously, as you know, the way, the Eastern Cape has a has a literacy problem, and that that's well known. Anybody who lives here, we know it. So to be told who any businessman must hire becomes a problem. That's why BE is a big problem. But anyway, the prop the point that I was going to to mention was. The only way to take some of these problem, these properties away from individuals is through EWC, expropriation without compensation. Because obviously you can force expropriation with compensation, but then you've obviously got the question of how much are you paying and where's the money come from? And that's also an issue. Now, the minute you implement that, you basically do a front or you do a threat to property rights. And by threatening property rights, again, we get to the principle of, well, why would I invest anyway? Because my my rights, the fruits of my labor, my money is not secure. So how, how do you square this? How do you take the money away? How do you take the property away from people? How do you so, get to a point where you basically force them to make that land productive? Cool. So, so many of you know the story of Australia, right? The fact that when many people left Zimbabwe, Rhodesia, they all flocked to Australia, right? And a lot of South Africans go to Australia. Australia has this, pro this pro policy that I'm talking about, right? What this policy does is basically says to you as a landowner, if I'm a landowner, I'd hire a farmer to say, hey, dude, come lease my land and employ people, farm anything, and I'll give it to you at a reasonable price. I'll help you. I'll support you. What it does is it fosters the economy because you have a whole bunch of people, rich people, that are like, oh, I'm too busy to care about poor South Africans that don't have any jobs. They're like, oh, snap, I need to care now. Cool. Gents, what do you want to farm? Cannabis, great. Come start, do it on my farm. Employ people. Let's get it done. You get a bunch of greedy billionaires to actually start caring. And that happened in Australia. And they got rid of employment in the numbers. People were literally saying, if you're in Zimbabwe and you're being kicked out, come work on my farm in Australia. I'll give you land. I'll give you land for almost close to nothing. We'll share the profits at the end. All I need is for you to create something on this land so that it doesn't get taken away. And what it did is it fostered this environment of jobs, jobs, and literally people were flocking in from everywhere for these jobs. What we're saying is get rid of evil people who continue to enjoy the system by ensuring that they actually care for South Africans. If I had to tell you the number of Arabs that own land in this country, mm. oil rich countries, hiding money, throw it in South Africa, buy a game farm, don't do anything, close it off. Dude, there's animals, why not build a lodge? Why not do, people wanna, no, we don't care, it's closed off. Who owns it? Can't ask question, it's closed off. How do you get those people to employ people? Because the issue that we've got in South Africa of unemployment is a man-made issue. Poverty in South Africa is a man-made issue. It's an issue of people bringing their money, and that's why we're great listed, and hiding their money through different assets. They don't care what really happens. They just want a place to park their money. And we're saying, if you're going to park your money here, you better put it to good use. 
And what that does is these people say, okay, cool, because this new president is saying that I need to be productive, let's build a resort on my farm. Let's start farming something. Let's start doing, and jobs begin to spur out. Jobs begin to spur out. And immediately our economy boosts, jobs are available, and everybody's happy. So we have the solutions to the jobs and the lands in one, where investors and the people of South Africa are both going to come to, 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 to a result that they both enjoy. So I don't have any more questions, but Mr. Dagada, if I can say, you're one of the more interesting people that we've spoken to on this channel. I don't know, I don't know if I agree with you on most things, but you, you're certainly someone who's thought about things, and that's rare <laughs> with, with respect to you, and it's really not, I'm not insulting you What's by it? any means. It's more of an insult to other people that we've spoken to. You've actually thought mm. about things in a way that we haven't thought about. I don't, I'm not too sure I agree with you. I'm not too sure I can vote for you. In, in a particular way, but I can understand why people would want to vote for you. I hope. Yeah, and I think I think uh, the, the the other thing that I would comment on is, is it's very pleasing to see that what you've done is actually looked at nations that are successful, seeing what policies that they've done, and seeing what you can implement in South Africa. That's also very rare. In South Africa, as you know, historically, all we do is we go, oh, okay, well, these were the policies that the KGB adopted in 19 Futek. And, you know, the world must still be the same place. So, you know, let's just keep doing what we've always done and it doesn't work. So it's nice and refreshing to see that you've, you know, you're looking at global policies and seeing what you can adopt in South Africa. But uh, we've nearly been here for an hour now, so we won't keep you for much longer. We thank you very much for, for joining us today and hopefully our viewers will greatly appreciate this if people want to hear a bit more about our arise sa where did they find you so we've got a website arisesa.org people can sign up for our membership people can donate to our campaign as many people know out there we're literally going against the establishment we're going against the deep state we're going against people that don't want us saying these things so we need as much support we need our voices to be amplified so thank you to the both of you for inviting us over and allowing me to share these ideas with the rest of the world. And we hope that it will be able to reach more people and that more people will be able to donate to the campaign and really support the work that we're doing. Because come 2024, we really want to find ourselves on the right side of victory and see South Africa become the global superpower that it should have been for so many years. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Yeah, so I'm the type of person that I don't think I'll vote for you, but I really do want you in Parliament. I think you'll be a very important voice. So, so Godspeed to you. We will put all the links in the description of the video down below. And we will certainly be in touch. Hopefully we'll speak again very soon. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Thank you very much. much. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for watching, everyone. Bye-bye.